Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast, episode 20 of 2020. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez Brownlee. And I'm Andrew Manganelli. It's Vending And Brandon Navard. And that is more people than we usually have. But they're here for a reason, of course. But we'll get back to that in a second. But we got a lot to talk about today. We start off with the recap. We do an update to our power rankings for tech events that we've had during this quarantine. Then we go right into the streaming updates. And then we got a bunch of verses, which is why everybody's here. We're going to talk about Apple versus Epic. We're going to talk about Canon R5 versus Sony A7S III. Then we're going to talk big batteries versus fast charging. So it's a fun one. Stick around. But let's start right off the top with our usual recap that we got. Uh, we got a couple of videos, some really fun ones and some anticipated ones this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Note 20 came out. Note 20 Ultra came out. We have the Note 20 Ultra. We reviewed the Note 20 Ultra. Yeah. The $1,300 phone. And I, I think the the opening line and closing line of the video are the two most important lines that sort of sum it all up if you have to skip everything just, just to hear those lines. Uh-huh. So the opening line of that is it's 1300 bucks, so it's pretty good, but also it better be for that price. So I hope so. <laughs> they covered that. And then at the end, it's more of a... You know, the, the the word you look for, this came from Becca's video, her impressions at The Verge, but the, the word you look for for now the best of Samsung's lineup is no longer Note. Mm-hmm. It's Ultra. So, you know, S20 Ultra, Note 20 Ultra. And the other, the other Note 20, which we don't have, which I haven't seen anyone review yet. I don't think anyone got that as a review unit, and I don't know if we will. I don't know if Samsung's as eager to push that one out. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that that Note Twenty, I think, might not have nearly the same positive impression. The we've we've said it a million times: a thousand dollar plastic, ten eighty p, sixty hertz, not expandable phone. That mm. phone, uh, I'm gonna try to get my hands on anyway and review it, uh, and we'll see what happens. But Note Twenty Ultra, that's out there. Then we did. I'm, I'm gonna skip to the Sony headphone review, the mm-hmm. WH One Thousand XM Fours. I got that right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw you read it I on read the screen it. also, so <laughs> I don't know if that counts. But that's uh, those are the headphones that we were waiting for for a while. It was over a year since the Mark 3s, and I love the Mark 3s. Mm-hmm. I will not fly without the Mark 3s. But there were just a couple small things where, like, on the plane, I'd have my phone for my music, and then once we get to cruising altitude, I switch to working on my laptop, and I want to just mm-hmm. have music 
from my laptop. And I just, multiple device support was one of those things that it was just missing that other premium headphones had. They finally added it. They could have stopped there. That was just what I wanted. If you if you stop listening now, you know the Mark IVs have it. Um, but there's also a couple other little features and those are, now I will not fly without the Mark IVs if we yeah. ever fly again. I mean, it's, a, it's again, they're great headphones, terrible name, great headphones, yeah. have a lot of things and they small little upgrades. There's not much you can do to make them that much better. So what do they do? They, do they do anything weird for the Mark fives or do we even expect them to, I guess they will make a, a they're Mark gonna five make eventually. It and they're going to change something. I guess the question is, are they going to add a new feature or are they just going to say ANC is 10% better or like, yeah. is it just going to be a super, super minute upgrade? Like it was just like the, the one feature they were missing that others in the price range yeah. had, they added. So now they it's added just a, like, design i guess yeah that's a feature that some people might actually upgrade from the old one whereas if it's just an incremental update yeah who cares if it's x percentage more yeah i could use the mark fours i could use these headphones for 10 years i think and be really happy with them but they're out so (laughs) we'll see how long they go uh what do you want to do next dope tech or dope tech okay which dope tech (laughs) um easiest one is the xiaomi smart charger Um, okay i don't I have this like running joke and I don't even know if it's a joke, but my, I liked your, your way of saying it can be used. Okay. Let's, this does not seem something that's useful or worth it to most people. It's, it's a hard sell. It's a very hard sell. The question that I haven't (laughs) been able to answer is how much is it actually? That's a good point. So there's no way it's cheap, right? Probably not. Yeah, but it's if you haven't seen the video, expensive. if you just to fill true, you in, true. the Xiaomi smart charger, it's a twenty watt fast charger. So just imagine like a a mouse pad sized wireless charger, right? It's yeah, white. like a standard mouse pad. Yeah, oh yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's uh, you know you put the the device in somewhere on the charger, and then one or two seconds after you put it down, you start to hear this like motor, this like motorized sound, mm-hmm. and a green light turns on and it moves the charging coil from the top corner to find and locate your device, and then your device starts charging. Yeah. So the added luxury is like, you can just kind of put it down anywhere on this mat, and it will find your device and start charging it. That's cool, okay, you don't have to line up the coils anymore, that's like a, a nice mm-hmm. little perk, a feature of having a nice motorized wireless charging pad. Yes. I tweeted this, people either loved it or thought this was so pointless that they would never even want something like this. But here's here's the cool thing, right? Mm-hmm. So when you take your device off the charger, it puts the coil back to the corner. Mm-hmm. Then you put another device on it, it finds it again, right? Yeah. The way wireless charging devices behave is when something reaches 100% or when it finishes charging, it behaves the same way as if you just took it off the charger. Mm-hmm. The device tells it, okay, shut the coil down, we don't need this anymore, we're done. So if you put two devices on this charger, let's say two phones or one phone, one pair of Galaxy Buds with wireless charging, mm-hmm. AirPods, whatever it is, it will, when the first one is done charging, it will stop and move that coil to the second device yes. because it sees that the first one doesn't need charge anymore mm-hmm. like you picked it up. And so that's kind of cool. So if you have overnight like two things to charge, put them both on the charger. The pro tip is, Put the one you really want to charge down first because that will charge first. Put the other one on second. When the first one's done, it'll move to the second one. That's pretty cool. That was dope tech. It is cool. First thing I would say about that is depending on price, you could probably buy two wireless chargers for the price (laughs) of it. Yeah. My 
the first thing I th- I didn't think about that when I first saw it, and the first thing I thought about was if I am so uncoordinated or under the influence of something that I can't place my device <laughs> on a regular charger, I need something that's five times you need larger. The handicap. If I'm so often, <laughs> yeah, if yeah. I need the handicap so often, it's probably a pretty good pickup. But I just other think, than that, yeah, wireless charging. The whole point of wireless charging is it's supposed to be a little bit more convenient yeah. than plugging in. So I guess this is another step in the direction of even more convenient. So sure. it will be really cool if it wasn't so much just like a pad, but say, uh, say you had like a nightstand where the whole top of it—that's the future. Yeah, that's the real yeah. future. It would have to differentiate between like a lamp and stuff. But so this is it would, this is be halfway sweet. between a normal wireless charging pad and a whole table being yeah. wireless charging. Okay, yeah, I like that take. Uh, also in that video, we had. Uh, the Hachi touchscreen. So this was a sponsored mm-hmm. integration. They they sent this my way and they wanted to be in the Dope Tech video. So I said, okay, we'll check it out. Turns out it's really, it's pretty sweet. It was, I think it is, I mean, to just go on that it's sponsored. They're not sponsoring anything about what we're going to say in this right. podcast right now, but like it is one of the best sponsored spots we've ever done just because of how cool the product actually was. Like it felt so like it would be so gimmicky. Right. Like, so the product itself is a touchscreen projector. So what mm-hmm. that means is if you imagine a projector that is calibrated enough to know what surface it's projecting on at all times, it turns the surface into a touchscreen. So you project a tablet onto a wall and then start touching the wall and it starts interacting with the yeah. image. That's the basic concept. And I've seen really bad versions of this. I mm-hmm. think that's what made me hesitant at first. Like you've seen, there's like a keyboard. Yeah, that we had tried one. To make. It was like a little. You, you just plug it into a USB, and it's maybe the size of like a roll of coins, and right. it projected like a red. Just keyboard. a keyboard. It was awful. All it had to do was see what you were typing. Yeah, and even that was like not it was that great. So bad. Yeah. So I see this whole thing, and it's going to give me a whole tablet OS, and it's going to mm-hmm. let me swipe and play games and type and all this stuff. And we're like, all right, well, if it keeps its promise, that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And it did. It was it, did. it was very impressive. Legitimately, as I was setting it up and you have to like log in or like set a user, I just started typing and I was like, oh, oh, this is like legit. I don't think I was even set up and I called you over and I was like, type on this right now. Just type on it. Yeah. And it was, it was impressive. I'd check out the video. It, it has a bunch of other cool features, but just the fact that we're at a point where a projector can project on basically anything and then you can interact with that is yeah. kind of it just really felt like the future it's pretty Hashtag wild feature it had the oh. best comments and last but not least in that dope tech episode we had the galaxy tab s7 plus uh people loved or hated the title which was the yeah. ipad pro killer the ipad pro evil twin it's the best samsung can do with android right now i think as far so, as android tablets that's a is, good way of putting it yeah it's the best one now when you get into using an android tablet you very quickly find there's you, you either use like three or four apps and you're set or you use like seven or eight apps and some of those start to get clunky mm-hmm. and are not optimized and suddenly there's no great weather apps and you're sort of struggling to make it the iPad-esque yeah. experience. That's the main difference you'll find when you've used an iPad and an Android tablet. But I love the screen on this tablet. I couldn't get enough mm-hmm. of it watching videos. It's 120 hertz, let's see, 120 hertz, 12 inch, quad HD, super AMOLED, uh, am I missing anything? Super bright in 16 by 10 resolution or aspect ratio. Uh-huh. It's awesome. Just watch the video. It's got this the S Pen and the nine millisecond uh, 
latency. It's got all this this high high quality stuff, but it's still an Android tablet, so uh, you know the the iPad killer moniker is definitely up for debate there. But yeah, it, you get the idea. So then the other dope tech, yeah, the solo dope tech episode, the Boston Dynamics robot. The, we finally got to see it. The pinnacle of dope tech, I think, as yeah. we've gotten to at this point. Man, we didn't get to see it. We got to you drove it. Yeah, that, and it was interesting that they they wild. called it driving it. I I kind of wondered if they'd call it yeah. walking it or like or traveling it is uh-huh. they called it driving it but yeah if you haven't seen that video oh, watch that one that that's was, a fun one it was just so wild to me we get there we see it moving around and we're just like in total awe and before we our jaws even like came off the floor they hand you the controller and just like oh, basically walk away and you're controlling it like i was still amazed at what this thing was doing and you're just walking down the parking lot with it and i yeah. Just couldn't the the people there also told us like three years ago we would never ever imagine handing over the controls and just letting you do whatever with it. Right, uh, it's come it. a long way. And if you watch those, uh, mainly really, if you go to the Boston Dynamics YouTube channel, you can it's kind wonderful. of follow the arc of like what they've been making and working on, and the form factor changes and the the friendliness of the package overall. Because if you look at those like kind of terrifying like six-year-old videos <laughs> you wouldn't even want the controls to that thing but yeah the you know the controls to spot were this android tablet you can walk it around pick stuff up you know go around the corners follow the cameras it is it's a whole experience so i would highly recommend going to watch that video i think a lot of people who see that have seen the black mirror episode which is <laughs> as they described to us literally based on the boston dynamics robots and they said they they saw that episode and it was kind of a surprise to them and they were like oh we would have loaned them robots yeah if they, they wanted they to. said it was probably mostly cgi but he's like i could yeah we could have done that we, yeah we could have we could have <laughs> let them have it now of course those robots did all kinds of crazy stuff so you probably i don't know if you want your robot associated with the murder robots from that episode but <laughs> true yeah that that was pretty funny so one we, of them also said one of them hadn't seen it and wondered how they defeated the robots and they said paint and he was like huh that's pretty smart yeah it's a good idea that's <laughs> just a, cover the sensors and, yeah yeah so uh they were great the whole team there was amazing they were so helpful and and just like fun to be around and they're creating something awesome i hopefully we can get one of them on the podcast when we can get people in again and uh yeah but i would love to just hear full origin story of that because it seems like a wild adventure it's one of those most unique products you probably won't see anything like it also speaking of getting people on the podcast later in this episode we we shot that whole most of that video Mm -hmm. with canon r5s so now we've had experience shooting canon r5 and a7s3 in the last month so we're gonna have vin and brandon come in here and break the differences down and and maybe we'll have them make some picks if we're gonna outfit the studio with one or the other they'll have to make their pick on the podcast but can we do you know how uh what episode was that where you and I had to take sides? Yeah. Oh, the the Apple versus charger in the box. Right. Let's have let's give one of them Sony and one of them. Oh, make Canon. them pick a side. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll let's have them duke it out a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So so that that will come later in the podcast, but that's uh that's the recap. That's the the couple of videos which were a lot of fun this week. Then we can go right into content we liked, and I I already have one. Yeah, that this I know is all I wanna, you. I want to shout this out. Okay. So Captain Disillusion is one of my favorite YouTubers. He doesn't make videos very often, but there are a couple channels that I follow that 
don't make videos often, but when they do, mm-hmm. it's an event, and it's Him and it's like Mark awesome. Rober. Yeah, Mark Rober is one of them. Nerd City is one of them. Like you can tell, there's a ton of effort going into these videos, and this one, again, it's a it's a pretty simple video about color. It's not you know this drastically important topic or anything yeah. crazy, but if you just sit down and watch this video from cover to cover. It is incredible how much work goes into the animation, mm-hmm. the explanation, the writing, and just this whole video. I highly recommend watching it. It'll be linked in the show notes, um, Captain. And and if you if you have a chance, just check out the rest of his channel because mm-hmm. all of his videos are like this. Um, but the the theme of Captain Disillusion is he breaks down the illusion that a lot of videos that are you know fake viral videos or hoaxes or fake product videos will go into and he'll break it down from a VFX perspective and explain why things aren't real or why they are and it's it's awesome. Yeah, I think if you were even remotely interested about the segment we did once about the uh the background that was bricking Android phones and the oh, yeah. color spec the color spectrum and everything of that, watch this video because as much as I completely fumbled around trying to explain that, this is explaining all of that beautifully. Yeah. Just much much better it also helps that he uh gives a little shout out to waveforms as a video tool not the <laughs> podcast but he shouts out waveforms in that video so check that out and you'll you'll see what we're talking about so that's that's what i want to shout out also fun fact we have another tech event to add to our power rankings mm-hmm. so we got panos panay from microsoft explaining and presenting the surface duo which is finally unveiled yeah. And, you know, I don't have a ton to say about it now because we're going to get our hands on it and we'll probably do at least one video, maybe more, and we'll talk about it plenty more on the podcast. Yeah. But the presentation itself was, I thought, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it was given privately to uh, journalists and people like me beforehand. Now it's on YouTube. You can go watch it. And it's basically him and the team just going through, like, what this is, what it does, how they've worked on it, what they think's good about it. And I think... I'm going to rank it. What's our current ranking before we do this? Apple 1. Apple 1, WWEC. Yeah. Then you go straight down to, we had the OnePlus AR event in the middle and Samsung at the bottom. I think that's it. I think that's all we've done so far. So I would put this at number two then. I would completely agree with it. It was was well presented, but it was also very, very humanizing as as a company where it's a very small group of people appearing on camera, but each of them clearly has a heavy involvement in the process and the project. And even Panos, like his, his, his infectious, Mm -hmm. contagious, like passion for the project where he's like, you guys are getting this right. You have the camera angle. Okay. I just want to show you how this works real quick right here. All right. Did you guys see that? That was great. All right, let's move on to this. It was, it was good. It was a different style, but it it was was good. Good for all the reasons the Samsung event was bad. Yeah. Like, (laughs) it's not to say that there aren't people at Samsung who are equally as passionate about things, but their stuff is so scripted where if Microsoft was scripted, then he is the best actor I've ever seen because (laughs) he just comes off as purely passionate about everything. And it just felt so. It was convincing. Yeah. Here's you and me sitting in a room, and I'm just explaining to you why I love this. And then on top of that, well shot. Yeah. Would you say this is proving that going the route of um, like not on a stage and not a like virtual live event, it mm-hmm. goes better off to do this like we're on campus, you're kind of behind the scenes with us and the be- more of a production? 
well, comes off better. So I think it's spot on the power rankings would say so. I think mm-hmm. the number one and number two, Apple and Microsoft, were not simulating a stage yes. event. And I think number three and number four, OnePlus and Samsung, were simulating being on stage again, even though they didn't have to. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it kind of speaks to that. But I also just think having less uh, people involved makes each person more impactful. So yeah. I think, yeah, we, you know, I'd love to talk to him more and I think we'll probably end up doing that. But yeah, I, I think it was really effective. And even he, this is what my thought was, is because he is so passionate about each point in this presentation, it's more convincing. I think yeah. if you had like six people try to read a script to explain what he was saying, mm-hmm. I would be wholly unconvinced that I want a dual screen tablet with a small battery and last year's specs <laughs> and like a crappy camera and probably a lot of missing like support, mm-hmm. I don't think I would want it. But because of the couple of points that he kept driving home about how, how our brain works and how they've been using this and the dual screens really, you know, I started, I was like, you yeah. know what? Yeah, I, I think I would give this a shot. So yes, I think when you see it on paper, you're like, this is dumb, 1400 bucks. I don't want a <laughs> Surface Duo. And I totally understand that. But I think giving it a shot might have us feel some of what they were feeling when yeah. working on it. It really makes it feel like he's been locked in a room with this for like six years yeah, and he, he wasn't allowed to get out till he finished. And now, and now this it's out. is his entire, yeah, it was, it's great. I, I'm honestly really excited for it. I don't know necessarily as like a device I would want to use all the time, but I think it's just going to give us a totally different perspective on foldables in general. And even though it's hard to compare it to folding physical screens Mm -hmm. i think the form factor of it looks great and i think combining both of those we're going to be like we're going to have a feel for like this is the end game of what we want and between those two devices we're going to really like start to know what we're looking so what's your what's your take on foldables then is this a real future that will continue to evolve i think it's easy to say that foldables are a future Mm. just how far away we are from them Mm. i don't think we're that close uh, as it being like a uh, like everyday like a consumer project product feels way more like an enthusiast thing right now for sure and i think that's mostly because there's still so many faults that only enthusiasts who really want to see the ground level of it are getting excited about it Um, some of them yeah i think when i look at samsung's two the z flip yeah. has even though it's so super expensive and again it's not ideal for a lot of people when you look at the people who use it and love it like Quinn and Austin mm-hmm. and they they love using that phone daily and i think that's really interesting and i also want to get a, a look at the what is it called now Z Fold 2 5G even though it's the Galaxy Fold Z 2 fo- oh yeah, yeah Z is in so it. i want to see that Galaxy Fold 2 that from what i've seen in videos yes. looks really interesting and we're, we're still waiting for price and everything but yeah. I think when I start seeing um, less tech reviewers and more my mom, my sister, mm-hmm. my aunt or uncle, like having those in their pockets and like being like, here's all the things I can do in this just for someone every day. And I think that's when we're going to be, you know, at the point. And we're going to be at that point. I have absolutely no doubt that is going to be something in the future. That's a really gonna take a while. good way to look at it. I just when I think of that audience, I think like there's only like three phones now that have cracked into that audience and it'll be a long time before it. Like even, cause right now, uh-huh. slab phones, 
we've pretty much nailed that, right? Like oh, the yeah. glass sandwich with the screen mm-hmm. on the front and the cameras on the back. Like, there's it's really kind of just like, are you going to get an iPhone or a Samsung or that one alternative that's coming up? Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with carriers also. Yeah. But but yeah, I see what you like. But when a folding phone gets in there, then then we're talking. Yeah. Okay. It'll it'll make it. I just think we're a, a while away from it. All right. Well, let's, uh, we've talked about this stuff a lot. Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk streamer updates, we'll talk Epic versus Apple, and then we'll come back and talk EOSR versus A7S3. We got a lot of verses. Be right back. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Support for this show comes from NetSuite, and that's exactly what NetSuite provides, support. But what they really provide is support where you need it, because no one needs help where they don't need it. So NetSuite wants to provide you with products and services that are tailor-made for your business. Help where you need it. NetSuite is a top-rated cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended their one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash waveform. That's netsuite.com slash waveform, netsuite.com slash waveform. All right, so we're back. This is actually a little weird because while you guys had a break, we actually took a break because there's construction going on in the studio. Classic. So we actually stepped away and had to delay recording the rest of this. But anyways, we're back back. We have some streamer updates. I know this is like kind of a reoccurring thing, but there's been a lot going on 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 the streaming platforms and with streamers in general. So just slowly updating everybody with what's going on. Um, Tell me what's happened. All right. So we all know Mixer went down. The two big, we were all wondering where Ninja and Shroud were going to go because they're the two biggest. The biggest names, the LeBron, the LeBron Nike shoe deal ran out. Where is he going to go? This is Ninja. <laughs> this going is to a their new, new shoe deal. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, I mean, they were kind of like the biggest streamers in general, and they went to Mixer, and now Mixer's gone. So we know Ninja went back. He tried YouTube, but he's back on Twitch now. And now we know Shroud is back as well. But the weird thing that happened is while Shroud and Ninja were gone, Dr. Disrespect was arguably one of the biggest streamers on Twitch. We talked previously about how he got banned. We still don't know why, but he is now streaming on YouTube. Don't know if it's exclusive or not, but he did. Okay. He had some wild numbers. Uh, first day back peaked at four hundred eighty-five thousand viewers, which for streaming is you're saying like unheard. live concurrent live viewers. concurrent viewers four hundred eighty-five thousand people all watching the same live at one, stream yeah. at once. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! Not for the okay. whole time, but it, but the peak of that stream that he did That's probably like wild. six hours was yeah yeah. Um, not much else to that story. It's just he's on YouTube. 
One thing that it did bring up is he streamed with PewDiePie for a little bit. With him? Yeah, they played this game called Fall Guys, which I think I told you about before. For anyone out there, it's kind of like MXC or Wipeout, those shows where you have like crazy obstacles, uh, but in a video game style, 60 people start and you have to make it through these obstacle courses and then you slowly get eliminated. So that's... Those are just two really entertaining uh, it's a personalities. Cool game I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should try and play it sometime. But um, now back to Shroud. Mm-hmm. First night back on Twitch, and he posted the statistics of his stream on Twitter, and there we get a little deeper look, and they're even crazier than uh, Doctor Disrespect. So dur- I'm just gonna go over everything he posted. Okay. Duration was seven and a half hours. Jeez. That's not that unheard of for streamers, but like really thinking about that is, I can't imagine, man, being on like on in front of people for eight hours. When I have a five hour flight cross country, I have trouble sitting in my seat the whole time without standing up. (laughs) So the fact that these guys are going seven hours plus, and I assume like just sitting in the same chair, doing the same thing. They get up to like grab food and sometimes they'll eat like on stream quickly, but that's- It's a skill, man. Yeah. It's It's a skill. Um, so his average viewers for the whole seven and a half hours were 222,000 peak viewers, 516,000. So higher. Yeah. Um, unique viewers, 2.967 million Mm -hmm. follower. He gained 254,000 followers just the first stream back Hmm. and gained 16 and a half thousand subscribers. If you don't know subscribers on Twitch is the paid for content right so he gets a cut if all of that was one dollars that means he made sixteen and a half thousand dollars but it's definitely more than one dollar it's probably closer to at at least three right so that's what okay i'm looking at these numbers i like i like to compare like every platform is obviously different but when i see like you know groundbreaking numbers on one platform i kind of like to imagine them on the other and i think Mm -hmm. youtube's the one i know the best so I'm imagining a YouTube video mm-hmm. that went live seven and a half hours ago that has the same numbers. I'd be very impressed by 254,000 new followers in seven and a half hours <laughs> from one video. I'd be very impressed by that. Very, I, I'm sure that's happened maybe maybe a dozen times on YouTube, but it's super rare. Gaining 250,000 like subs in, in seven hours. I think that's what? probably happened with like a couple music videos oh, okay, and okay. like maybe one or two like super viral like everyone was looking like the the what was the James Charles Tati Westbrook like oh, occasional like really really rare oh, stuff crazy okay but I'd be very impressed by that seven and a half hours two point nine six million unique viewers happens all the time on YouTube so that's the other thing so mm-hmm. the 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 crazy part and YouTube actually used to have a stat where you could see how many people were also watching a video with you. Oh, really? Yeah, so if you were signed in, you could see the usernames of the other users also watching the at video the at the time. same time as you. Huh. And they got rid of it, but that was so fascinating to me because I'd put out a video and I'd be able to watch like the arc of it where like six people, 16 people, huh. 29 people, and suddenly there's 50 people all watching the same video with you. And I'm sure if that happened, you know, with a video today, you could see that, that arc yeah, again yeah, and it'd yeah. be really fascinating, but... Um, yeah, I'd be curious if there's YouTube videos out there with 200,000, 500,000 people all watching it at the same time when it launches. I bet that's also a music video type of number. Yeah. And like, uh, I guess it's a little different with first streamers is 
especially when they have comebacks like this, like Shroud had been teasing this for like a week. Dr. Yeah. Disrespect did the same thing. They both teased that they were coming up and a week in advance they said like, this is the time to be ready for. So I'm, I'm sure people were getting it. Here's the date, here's the time. Yeah. Get ready, get your schedule mm-hmm. cleared up. Yeah. And uh, a stream is also easy to like, I'm at work and I have a second monitor. I'm just going to leave the stream active on the second. Where a video, you're like generally a 10 minute video you want to pay attention to and and know everything that's happening. Yeah. So Hmm. it's still just super interesting. Like we, uh, we were at YouTube. Our numbers are way different because they're just a different style of content. And it's, it's interesting looking into kind of other things like that. I know for sure. I've never gotten 250,000 followers in seven hours on (laughs) anything, but I think uh, 2.96 million unique viewers. There have been, you know, phones when they come out where mm-hmm. everyone is waiting for the iPhone impressions video, and it's like it's not a week buildup, but it's like a couple days where like the event happens and everyone's waiting, and then boom, the impressions goes up. Like that's those are the types of videos that will do crazy numbers, and I I always get a kick out of watching those charts. But uh, yeah, so now we know. So Doc, YouTube, Shroud, Twitch, Ninja, Twitch. Yeah, and I think okay. it just further proves that Twitch is just so far and ahead of it. Like Mixer was kind of there fighting and then just disappeared off the face of the earth. YouTube will always be there and have an option, but Twitch is still go-to. Man, and I, so now I don't see anything. Microsoft couldn't do it. Who can? Amazon? Which owns TikTok? Twitch? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, Amazon uh, owns Twitch. Uh, yeah, that'll be. So if Microsoft That's, couldn't pull it off with Mixer. There's not a lot of hope I've, for that competition. Not a lot of hope, no. Well, speaking of competition, <laughs> <laughs> we have, uh, I would say this is the biggest story in tech, at least when it happened, when it all went down, and probably will be an ongoing oh, yeah. long-term story. Mm-hmm. Epic versus Apple and the rest of the world. I would say the main headline is Epic versus Apple and Google. Yeah, or saying, just if you don't know, Epic is Fortnite. Right. Um, and Fortnite's a way more understood right. game, I guess, right now. Okay, so here's the here's the bird's eye view, and then I want to break it down like part by part. Okay. But the bird's eye view is Epic Games makes Fortnite. Apple has the App Store. Google has the Google Play Store. Let's just focus on Apple just to keep it yeah, simple, yeah. right? So in order to get Fortnite on your phone, your iPhone, you need to go to Apple's App Store, which they control, download it, and inside of Fortnite, the way that they make a lot of money, the way Epic Games makes All millions It's and a free-to-play game, so. Yeah, Fortnite is free, but inside of that, there's a lot of microtransactions, mm-hmm. is that fair to call it? Yeah. Where you like upgrade things, you're buying new equipment. Yeah, I wouldn't call it, calling it an upgrade is tough because nothing in it gives you like a competitive advantage there okay. are a lot of games where you get like competitive advantages for something like yeah, that yeah like they um, feel like pay to play but yeah this these is are more... all aesthetic things really okay. cool aesthetic things but all purely aesthetic um, so all of these things that you buy inside of Fortnite, you have to go through the the mecha- the mechanism of apple's payment structure mm-hmm. and apple takes a 30 percent cut of that yes and it's not just that. They take a 30% cut of everything that happens through the App Store. If your app costs $10, to simplify, Apple is getting $3 every time you sell an app for $10. Um, but that also applies to microtransactions inside the game. And so this was the sticking point. Epic decided to push an update to the app that bypassed that 30% thing by adding their own payment structure yeah. inside of Fortnite. So they pushed this. 
it goes out to everyone's phones. Now they can buy microtransactions in the game and not have to give Apple a 30% cut. Mm -hmm. That is against Apple's terms of service for the App Store. Instantly banned. Not instantly. It took a couple hours, but banned. Yeah. They banned the app. Mm -hmm. And Epic knew that this was coming as soon oh, as yeah. they pushed this update they knew that this was against the terms and it was just a ticking time bomb before apple walked into the trap and banned the app and they had a lawsuit ready they had a an ad video ready <laughs> they had a, a remake of apple's 1984 ad but sort of like in painting Fortnite. inside it yeah painting yeah. apple as like this big bad mm -hmm. uh the thing that they were trying to defeat they're the monopoly now it was uh it was quite an event it was a whole day so the same thing happened at Google. They pushed an update. It's against the terms of service. Yep. It got banned. They they had a lawsuit for Google too. They didn't have a snazzy video though. But no, the flashy. I, I, probably, they, I don't think they were expecting to get banned from the Play Store. Or, oh, I think they yeah, were Play Store as quickly. Maybe not as quickly, but yeah. they had the lawsuit ready as soon as it happened. Yeah, so true. they were they were ready for it. But I guess I think the, yeah. Apple's better news also. Definitely like, the Apple's headlines. Fortnite versus Apple is just like yeah. Almost everyone is gonna click on that. Who wouldn't? So. My perspective is actually, my take is they can both be right. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they can both be wrong at yeah. the same time. Mm -hmm. So let's go through, we have this whole like bullet for bullet like oh, yeah. thing where we can go through. But I think if you look at both sides of this, like it's like, oh, there's clearly an infraction here. They clearly pushed out an update that's against the rules, which means clearly they're going to get banned and now they're gonna sue because they don't think that rule is fair, but hey, they signed the contract saying that they would go by the rule. Yep. Their argument is those contracts are the illegal thing. They shouldn't be able to, to make that 30% that cut. Yeah, I, I think the way we just described it is the way most people are hearing it, and it's really easy to potentially pick a size there because you probably have a bias, but the more I've read about this and probably the more we'll go through this, it's like every time you read something, you think, oh, I see where that's coming from, or, oh, I don't know why that's happening there. And you kind of yeah. flip-flop on sides the more you read it. And just I've come to the conclusion that I just don't know who's in the right, if either are in the right, if either are in the wrong. It's just, <laughs> it's so much. And it's going to be really interesting to see it all. This unfold. is me really, like, flexing the the muscle in my brain that tries to see both sides of every conflict. And yeah. it's, it's a lot. So I think the biggest point, the biggest sticking point is the 30% cut. Yeah. For so, sure. from Apple's, let's. You want to go Apple or or Epic's perspective first? Let's go Apple's perspective first. Okay. So Apple's perspective is: we made this app store, mm -hmm. right? We we gave you the iPhone. We gave you iOS. We made this incredible ecosystem, and we gave you the app store. And if you want to build an app for it, feel free. And you might make money because we made this app store. Yeah. Congrats. We're giving you seventy percent. It didn't used to be, so this 30% cut we're taking is just like, yeah, we, we built the whole app store and now we take 30%, thank you very much, because that's what we do. And the perspective is, you know, if you sell a game in a physical store back in the day, you had to pay for, you mm -hmm. know, getting it on the shelf. Yeah. Like there is all sorts of costs that were probably significantly more than, I think Tim Cook said 70%. 50 to 70 is You'd end up paying said, yeah. a much bigger cut. So now Apple's like, we're giving you a discount, thank you very much. You're welcome. We built this <laughs> store. We're allowing you to make money from our store. We're only taking 30%. Yeah, there's there's a couple other things you can think of that Apple is, that's beneficial in there. Because to just say like, we're, I mean, 
almost to say we're one of the world's largest marketplaces for like digital goods. Yeah. Like is already a pretty decent selling point. But if you think about the fact that they're hosting and delivering all the, like them as a marketplace is they're hosting and delivering all these apps. So it's making it easier for people to download. They're handling all the taxes and stuff that goes through it, which when it comes to international taxes and stuff like that can be a huge pain in the neck. Yeah. They're handling, they, do uh they handle kind of like reviewing in the developer side of a bunch of different thing and and helping developers make things compatible with ios yeah um they also handle support or not all the support but sometimes can be in like an intermediate between the consumer and the actual developer in an app because most people who download an app and have a problem with it are going to call apple because they downloaded it from the apple store so now they're they're handling support and they're also like people trust Apple and trust the app store. So more people are going to trust transactions through the app store than they're going to trust transactions from something they may not like. And that's that I think is a big point because Apple uh, and we'll get to the we'll get to the epic argument in a second. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that is the the biggest pro and con of what Apple has to do here, which is they control that app store fully. Yeah. Everything that goes through the app store, they review and allow, and yes. then it gets to the app store. So they, they don't have like explicit apps. They don't have like malware. They don't allow things mm-hmm. that could be a bad experience because they want it to be a good experience. And so yeah. in order to enforce that, they have to have total control over everything. And so the, in that contract, they're like, if you're gonna have microtransactions, you can't do that through your own engine that could be a horrible experience. You have to go through us so we can make sure it's not getting out of control. And by the way, we'll take 30% for mm-hmm. making sure it's a good experience. So that's Apple's side of the 30%, right? Yes. All right. So Epic, on the other hand, and maybe every other developer feels this way, but Epic's looking at 30% as like, you're just taking money from us. Yeah. Like we built this app. Mm-hmm. We are putting it on your app store. Why are you taking a massive 30%? Maybe 5, 10% isn't so bad, but we, how, I don't know if there's a count well, for mean, how many millions of dollars they make from um, Fortnite transactions. I have that, that in 2019, uh, Epic had 1.9 billion in revenue. Oh my God. So that's not just all through just the App Store, but still, like, we're talking about a billion dollar company. So yeah. you're talking about millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars at least. Apple is Apple making, is making tens of this. millions, taking taking tens of millions of dollars out of our out of our pockets, and we're a company, and we mm-hmm. we clearly also care about profits. No one's going to argue that big companies. We care don't. about profits, and we have overhead as well. Like, yeah, it's not a like physical product you're holding in your hands, but they still have developers, and they have they're a huge company. They have to pay people out, research and development, all sorts of marketing stuff like that so there's yeah. just more overhead for them and i'm sure they're not like hurting for money or anything but like <laughs> no they're losing 30 percent to apple mm-hmm. and that is that is the crux of their argument is that it's an unfair amount yeah and the way they're going about this lawsuit is there's not enough competition to you know make apple drop that 30 percent yeah if there was more competition more marketplace competition for i guess selling apps there would be, you know, uh, an app store that comes along and only takes 15%, and then developers would make their apps for that app store, and then Apple would drop to 10%, and then they go back to Apple. So the, there's not enough competition. And then you go back to Apple, and they're like, 
well, we built this. <laughs> we built the iOS app store on mm -hmm. the iPhone. We control it because we want there to be a good experience. We don't allow other app stores on our phone. If you want to use our app store, fine, but like it's our rules, pay to play, 30%, please. So you can see both sides where there's like, clearly yeah. we, Apple's like, we need to have this control over the thing to give you good experience. And we have all these expenses. We'll take 30%. It's less than it ever was in physical medium. And Epic, the developers on the other hand are like, and especially if you're not Epic, if you're another developer or a developing house where you do have a very delicate balance between expenses and how yeah. much money you're making, 30% mm -hmm. is a lot to give away. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough to see uh, that being a reasonable number when uh, there should be more competition. It is. So a couple of points to put in. No matter what we say, here unless this podcast is seven hours long we're not going to get everything and people yeah. are going to be listening and are going to say you forgot about this you forgot about that so we're going to try our best to really like yeah. hit some of these parts i also um, get in the weeds a lot so yeah we're going to get in the weeds i don't think either of us are great at super long form storytelling but i think the whole point of this podcast is to get into the weeds so yeah. we might get a little <laughs> passionate about things and forget but uh a couple points uh to share here mm -hmm. which i find interesting um, one is that one of the things, uh, is it Tim Sweeney? I just want to make sure I get the that. CEO of Epic, the CEO of Epic. Yeah. Tim, not Tom, right? Okay. I think so. Tim Sweeney, he's been very vocal about this, but, uh, Epic is one of their arguments is that Apple is treating games specifically as all, all games that are put on the Apple app store are 30% and they claim in their terms of service that they will be taking 30% equally from everybody, but oh, it is right. not everybody. There That's are, a big point. There are a lot of apps that they don't, and why you might be thinking it, it's way more obvious than you think. Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Chipotle, Burger King. Wait, I want to zoom out for a second yeah, first. Yeah. Okay. So if you sell an app on the App Store, mm -hmm. you have to give 30% right there to Apple for the money you're making from the app right off the start. So mm -hmm. if you're if you sell an app for money, then Apple's taking 30%. Yeah. In addition, if you have a way to purchase things inside of your app, mm -hmm. whether it's a microtransaction in Fortnite or buying, you know, extra content inside of the app already, yeah. then you also give 30% of that revenue to Apple. Correct. So even if you get the the free Starbucks app, and you want to go buy something with the Starbucks app, in theory, you would have to pay 30% of that to Apple, but that doesn't always exactly apply to everyone equally. No, and two things about that. The reason that probably started for games is because these uh, free-to-play games are the new big thing where all their money is made by in-app purchases. Mm -hmm. So Apple would make no money if they only did it on base cost because... Almost nobody does paid, games. paid apps, right. games anymore. But then when you start looking at Starbucks and whatever, if Star like Apple is not charging them because they want a convenience thing with their phone. They want people's phones to turn into their wallets pretty much. And if I can go pay for my coffee with my Starbucks app or I can buy Chipotle, order it and pay through my app, it's going to be way... Like Starbucks and Chipotle are never going to create an app if they're going to get 30% taken away from them. So why would they care that you can pay on your phone mm -hmm. if Apple wants to be convenient and the go-to phone for convenience and be able to sell convenience? 
they can't do that. Right. So I think the biggest uh, the biggest way to point out an exception to the rule is the deal Apple cut with Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. So Amazon, if you get the Amazon app, the Amazon app is free. But if you want to go buy a movie, I think it's movies, movie, uh, movies, like maybe Prime apps. Video and stuff yeah, if you like want to buy something through Prime Video, Apple cut a deal with Amazon, or I guess Amazon cut a deal where Apple would only take fifteen percent. And it was kind of this loophole they made where it was like, oh, because it's movies, we want it to, it's a it's a different rule for movies and it'll only be 15% or they can cut a deal. And I think that's one of the points Epic's pointing to where like, just because they have enough influence then they can they can like mess with the rules and have something different, that, that doesn't seem like you're applying the rule fairly. Mm-hmm. 30%, we don't want it to be 30% either. We want 0%. So there's... There's that whole thing. It doesn't seem to be evenly applied to everyone. Yeah, it's also interesting because I don't know if they're necessarily necessarily saying they want 0%, but one thing that uh, he's brought up is that console creators or like console companies, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, they are also taking a cut of Fortnite's in-app trans- like microtransactions. The whole thing is you buy V-Bucks in Fortnite. It's like a currency okay. inside yeah. the game. But that happens on Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch. But Epic doesn't care about that. There's no lawsuits for that. And their reasoning is that uh, hardware is not how Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo are making money. Hardware is like the consoles themselves, the Xbox, the PlayStation, the Switch, are all hardware pieces that are being sold at potentially a loss of profits to then make up for an experience that they can make money through Hmm. their stores online, et cetera, like that. So because they're providing a specific console that is made for gaming, they're expecting to make their money through games, whereas on PC and on Android and on iOS, those are general computing systems that aren't made specifically just for games, so they're not in it to make money off of games. They're in it to provide general technology and that he believes that they shouldn't be getting a cut because they're making money in a million other places, whereas you know Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo are making money purely off of games. So he okay. thinks it's okay for them to make money off of them. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot. It's still like I don't know if it'll be as simplified as oh well, they Nothing can, is they can make some money off of them, but we don't like them making money off of us. Like it, I think they're always gonna fight for their own margins. Oh yeah, and. That's why they're coming for Apple. Also, we didn't even talk about the whole Google Play thing. Mm-hmm. They, so they did the same thing to Google minus the big shot-for-shot <laughs> shot remake video, of the 1984 yeah, yeah. video. But yeah, uh, there was also a policy in the Google Play Store where you, you have to go through Google-approved transactions and they push an update, they broke the rule, got banned from the Google Play Store, and they had a lawsuit ready for Google too. So that's the pushing the update thing and this is where you, where I go immediately think like Apple did exactly what they were supposed to do. Epic made the update and didn't get it reviewed. They just pushed it. So right. it was not reviewed and approved by the App Store to be put into the App Store because they knew there was no way it was going to... It's it's not just you can purchase it and bypass it. It's you can purchase it at 20% off because... Apple would be taking 30%. So if they do 20% off, all their consumers get pay less and they still make 10% more. more. Yeah. So like, so why would you ever clearly. say, oh, I want Apple to make 30% more money. I'm going to spend an extra five bucks on this just so Apple can make some money. It's, yeah. It so was, they, oh yeah. 
Yeah, they knew they were going to get banned. When they pushed an update basically from their own servers to people's uh, apps that they already had on their phones, they bypass Apple's review and they break the, the rule. Uh, so, of course, they're going to mm-hmm. get banned. The thing about Android that I found interesting is Epic has offered a sideload version of yeah. Fortnite before. Originally. Originally, too. Mm-hmm. So there is App Store competition on Android. You can go through the Play Store. I mean, this is very technically speaking, but you can go through the Play Store. You can go through other stores. You can download apps on in the browser if you mm-hmm. want to. And they offered this, and Android is so, you know, of course, because of security, they want to offer good experience. They have so many hoops to jump through to install through a third-party or. They have so many hoops to jump through uh, to install an app from the browser because there's so much less security and review there that regular customers didn't really do that very much, no. and they would just go to the Play Store. So at a point where they offered both sideloading and had it in the Play Store, people just went to the Play Store and just downloaded it there, Oh yeah, and that made perfect sense. There's the Galaxy Store on Samsung phones. Mm-hmm. Fortnite is in the Galaxy is it called the Galaxy Store? I think it's called the Galaxy I'm Store. I'm not sure what it, I know it was like I think it was preloaded onto the Note 9. That's it when was. they did like the big that. event, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so you can get the you can go through the Galaxy Store and get it on your Samsung phone or the Play Store or sideload it. So there is competition, but they still are against that policy yeah. and still had a lawsuit ready. So I thought that was a little interesting. Yeah, Google makes it very um nerve-wracking to sideload things and, and to like stuff. if as a nerd as someone who's done it for years uh-huh. it's just like three buttons clicks yeah but each one of those button clicks is a little weird to someone who's never done it where oh, yeah. they're like are you sure you want to <laughs> yeah. allow this uncertified thing to run and then you go yes and they go okay go into the settings and uncheck this box <laughs> and you go oh okay so you go into the chatting settings uncheck it and then go back and they're like all right you said you wanted this. Are you yeah. sure? And you have to hit yes again. And, you know, to us, it's just like, yes, yes, yes. I want this launcher. I, I want this this third-party remake of Dark Sky where now it's Darker <laughs> Sky and I, I have a clone of an app that's supposed to be dead. But, like, I know what I'm doing. But for regular people, that's uh, it's a little weird. Yeah, so, it's like, uh, do you want to cut to the cut to the front of the roller coaster line you just can't wear a seatbelt you'll probably be fine but you're sure there's no seatbelt and suddenly you're uh you're not so sure anymore so yeah that's i found that a little interesting with the the play store the whole thing is like pretty wild and like even just talking about this here it's just every time we say something i i start thinking well apple's totally in the right well epic's kind of in the right too they they, if this is what they're truly, it kind of comes down to remember when we talked about Apple and feeling like, are they really not including a charger because of profit margins or are they doing it to save the environment? Right. Is Epic doing this because of profit margins or because they really want to be that knight in shining armor for all the smaller developers who are taking on the the monsters of Google and Apple? Right. And it makes it hard to believe that when in the lawsuit, they talk about the Epic game store that they want to launch. Because they have mm-hmm. this on PC already. They have an Epic Game Store on PC that sells other games and they take a percentage from. The percentage yeah. is much smaller. I think it's 12%. Right. So okay. it's like way, way smaller. But still, they still do it. So when you're talking about them, they want to launch competition. So is this really for the the big guy taking fighting for the little guys, facing the like the deities? Or is this... 
Yeah, like, I think I think profits. both I think both companies have a little bit of good guy bad guy to all of their arguments. Yep. So you can say, "Wow, seems like they're just really hungry for profit, and the thirty percent is too big of a chunk of the money they're just making all the time." But also, yeah, the other side of the argument is they're sticking up for, you know, all the other developers who can't deal with that thirty yeah. percent. On the other side, the Apple good guy bad guy thing happens too, where it's like Apple can say, "We." want this to be as safe as possible. We want this beautiful walled garden where you guys know exactly what you're going to get and there'll be a good experience with the App yeah. Store and we need to exert full control here. And this 30% is a discount from what consumer goods have always been. So look at all the good we're doing. But on the other side, it's like, yeah, we can just do whatever we want here. We can make 30% <laughs> even though we're not spending that much extra money reviewing the apps. Of course we review the apps, but 30%? Jeez, and now yeah. and now Apple's a two trillion dollar company. So how bad do they need that thirty percent, right? Well, so they, there's they a little, wouldn't be there without that. Ah, uh, yeah, but it's still like they they're there's a good guy, bad guy too. Yeah, like, on, on either side, and I think if you have a bias because there's a good guy, bad guy on both sides, it's so easy. It's easy to, to be, see the good guy from one side and the yep, bad guy from the other side. Yeah, it is. It's uh, facts. I, I think I'm someone who I'm not a Fortnite fan. By any means, I understand it's been big, and I'm I don't really use that many Apple products, so I'm I'd like to say I'm pretty unbiased in this, mm-hmm. and I just really if I had to pick if I had to pick a side, I don't know what I would really really pick here. Well, I, I hope in the end, whether Epic is doing this for margins or whatever, I do hope that somehow smaller companies get some sort of benefit out of this right. because as an indie game company, like you are just understanding that you're creating a game that is just going to get money ripped away from it no matter how hard you work and so if i am if i am apple i'm looking at this lawsuit at being at at, from epic and being like wow what a bunch of jerks the outcome i'm hoping for is we win this and it goes away and everyone goes back to not not really complaining too much and just paying the 30 percent. if i am epic i am hoping for the outcome of apple uh, loses or at least realizes the 30% is too much and will be a sticking point for developers forever if they never address this. Hopefully they lower this and and maybe there's some more competition. And the third, I think, is the key is if you're not Epic or Apple, if you're like another developer, an indie developer, making yeah. a game, making an app on the Play Store or the App Store, you see these lawsuits and you're hoping for the customers to win. You're hoping for at least a lower percentage being taken out of your pocket from that balance yeah. of money that you need to keep the games and things going. Uh, and I think uh, Epic is like maybe the one company that can actually fight this they fight. Are, they are the ones who can do it. They, uh, yeah. they have leveled up enough to be able to take on the boss, but... Um, this yeah. is the boss fight. This is the boss fight. This, this is the boss fight. They're about to try and beat the game or toss it in the closet forever because they're frustrated they can't beat it. Um, or let's, let's throw a fourth option in there. Let's just get a... Tim Sweeney, Tim Cook, mm. uh, cage match, and then, gloves. Yeah, let's figure this out on the boxing right. boxing ring. See it in the octagon. Down. That'd be so way better be than Jake Paul versus KSI. <laughs> Roy Jones Jr. fighting Mike Tyson with the undercard of Tim Sweeney and Tim Cook. <laughs> and Battle Jake of the Paul. Tims. Yeah. Wow. What a what a. 2020 man okay well yeah <laughs> I think that's that's probably where we cut this segment. Uh, we're gonna get into a whole bunch more versus but it's going to be in the camera world so we'll be right back take a quick break 
Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is going to change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution. Like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte. Team up. Fight on. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back to the third and final section of the Waveform podcast this time. This time we're joined by two guests. We haven't actually had them on the podcast before, even though they spend tons of time in the studio with us. So welcome, Vin and Brandon, creative and art director at MKBHD, Wizards Behind the Camera. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for that intro. I love being a wizard. Yeah, that's a good one. I think it's a a fair description. Um, Just for those of you who don't know, like the, the, the pandemic making me shoot a ton of videos by myself has made me realize 
well, number one, it feels more like a throwback to like the early days of when I was starting to make videos and didn't know much about production. And then made me realize how much I miss having a team make the videos better. So there have technically been more videos since the pandemic started, but I, in my opinion, they've been slightly lesser quality and I'm just so happy to have the team back. And we're working in a responsible fashion, wearing our masks mm-hmm. out and all that, but I think uh, I think that's really important. But we're here to talk cameras because at this point, it's a little more exciting in the camera world. It's a actually kind of an eventful month. We've got a 12K Blackmagic camera. We got Komodo that we might touch on for a second, but we specifically shot with two of the most exciting ones, which are Canon R5 and Sony a7S III. Right off the bat, do you guys have any strong feelings about any of these cameras? We shot the Tesla Model Y video with a7S III, and we shot the Boston Dynamics video with Canon R5. How are we feeling about them? I mean, just coming from uh, two very different shoots in a lot of ways, um, yeah. I don't know. They're, they're both incredibly impressive cameras, uh, and we use them in kind of... Uh, different ways like for model y we had it on a a ronin s which was connected to a monopod which we were slinging off the back of a uh, not car traditional. <laughs> no yeah. not not traditional fun at all. exactly <laughs> yeah um, i don't think like the average vlogger does that or no anything. Yeah. <laughs> not quite. um but you know r5 we, we had two r5s on the boston dynamic shoot and um they were were they were they both on ronin s or no my, mine was on ronin s yeah you're, you're just handheld. Just handheld yeah yeah um but uh, no, I mean, right off the bat, quality of footage looks really impressive on both. Um, I, I, they're kind of the cameras that, that I would like to spend like a ton of time with to really get to know well. Um, but you know, just first impressions, really impressed. Yeah. So we have, I have the R5 here. We, I we had two R5s because I bought an R5 and got it, and then mm-hmm. got another one loaned from Canon when we had the two. Uh, we had the a7S III loaned. I also bought one, but don't have that yet. Mm-hmm. So we will be spending more times with these cameras, but I figured the Versus was really interesting because I feel like the internet sort of takes sides on everything, and why not go through those two sides of these two cameras in like a, a perspective that most people don't have, which is we've shot with both. So the question is, does Vin or Brandon want to represent the Canon R5, while fight, the fight, other fight, fight. is the A7S III. You were saying, Vin, you have more more Sony shooting experience in the past. Is that right? Yeah, I've owned two Sony cameras. Okay. Yeah, I started off with the A7S. That didn't last too long. And then I yeah. found the A6300. I stuck with that for a long time. That's a pretty great value camera that I feel like I've recommended mm-hmm. from that series before. Mm-hmm. A6000, A6500, 6300. Uh, how about we do... Vin is A7S III. Mm-hmm. Brandon is Canon R5. I'll take it. Fight. Okay. That's it. Just go. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I think the ding, ding. number one question mm. is uh, actually weirdly overheating. So did mm. we have any overheating problems with either camera? I, no. 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 Okay, that's we, But that's because well, the, <laughs> yeah. the shoots we were on, like, there was no time where we left it rolling for, like, I'd say 10 minutes plus. Right. We, we, we tend to kind of plan out our shots. I don't know. I yeah. mean, with 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 um, a, a, A7S III, I'm terrible with names. Mm-hmm. Um, with A7S III, we, we did have those cameras rolling for a while with, with some of the laps that we did. I mean, 
I'm not sure time wise. It goes so fast, but like mm-hmm. I would say that we had it rolling for for probably ten minutes or so. Um, but I mean, in that time, um, I, we were in blaring sun, and it was almost it was like warm. ninety, like yeah. some degrees out. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, definitely extreme conditions. Um, but you know, you know, bringing the camera back into the car after the take. It was warm to the touch, but it was functioning perfectly fine for both. I think the Sony got warmer, like in hand. The Canon never really got warm. Interesting. Yeah. What uh, what settings were you guys shooting at on Canon though? Because we've seen a lot of overheating stuff online, but that's because it shoots 8K as well, right? And that's where it's like really bottlenecking. See, can I can I can I go on the R5 for a little bit? Yeah. Sure. So. <laughs> Sure, it doesn't shoot 8K all the time. Like, you can't just consistently roll that. It's going to destroy your cards. But the 4K HQ, I really wanted that to be, like, the main one you use to shoot. Mm -hmm. I believe that doesn't shoot in 30 FPS. Oh, wait. Yes, it does. It's the Sony. Yeah. Yeah. We had to find it in the menus. They have, like, different menu systems, but we did find that it would shoot. So it's 4K HQ, 30 FPS, full frame. Yeah. And with Sony, we were also full frame for 4K, 30 FPS. And mm-hmm. there's a couple different quality settings, but it was generally their high quality mode. Mm-hmm. I thought, actually, the longest time that I shot with A7S was when you guys weren't here. I just did like the A-roll where I was driving around doing laps mm-hmm. with it just recording me. And that was like a half an hour. So it was okay. a half an hour of driving, straight recording, didn't pause, didn't, didn't overheat or anything, which was good for the A7S. And we again shooting outside didn't have any problems with heating for the r5 but again if we had shot 8k which we didn't or if we had shot you know constant rolling for 4k hq for a long time maybe we would have run up to that but i feel like that wasn't actually an issue for us so that's good i think then another topic would be autofocus so between r5 and a7s3 is one of them notably better than the other or are we just looking at just really great autofocus systems at this point can i go back to the 4k hq thing yeah so in the middle of the shoot Mm -hmm. we had to switch to like the normal 4k okay so that's like another thing where like apparently the overheating doesn't happen in the lower the slightly lower mode and that was a space thing like we had a Mm -hmm. smaller card and we had to just stop crushing Mm -hmm. all of Mm -hmm. our 128 cards or whatever they were yeah yeah so that's like another factor but okay both the shoots were yeah they were kind of different because like for the car you, you do a lot longer takes because we're just driving in circles yeah so definitely i don't we kind of didn't put them through ex- exactly the same condition but 4k hq i think it still overheats yeah mm-hmm. after maybe so it would overheat after less time than 8k mm-hmm. but it wouldn't go as long as the sony which mm-hmm. just as far as we've seen doesn't overheat it doesn't yeah so that's yeah. that's to note about our shoots does sony still have the straight recording limit no no, oh, no it does not yeah. finally okay. the a7s3 huge. lifted that which is uh-huh. okay. oh my god <laughs> I, that's something that's that actually me about a huge lot i haven't heard about that yeah. at all i haven't been as informed but one thing, I, I mean, I I would have been really curious to see how the R5 would have performed if we had used it in place 
of the A7S3. A7S3. I still have terrible I wish with that we had name. Both during the same time. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, like we R5 really were in like super hot conditions. So, do you think if we if we used on that Model Y shoot, if we hung out the window or whatever, had it on a monopod on a yeah. Ronin <laughs> outside in 95 degree heat, yeah. shot 8K and did like our couple minute long loops, do you think it would have actually become a problem, Pete? I'd say it's possible. It's hard to speculate because I don't know. We we don't want to say it would have become a problem even though we never had any problems. But from what I've seen, it's like you get to like 15 to 30 minutes and it starts to become a problem. Yeah. I'd also like to throw in that we were turning off the R5 like pretty often during the uh, spot shoot. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's why it didn't overheat. Yeah. For the Tesla shoot, we wouldn't have been able to do that because yeah, it was we, at the end of a like six uh-huh. foot pole driving around constantly trying to get the frame before we're recording mm-hmm. or just trying to make sure Brandon's not going to fall out of the back of a car. Yep. So we had more things Small to worry details. about than turning off the camera between <laughs> yeah. things. So yeah, um, that would have been different. I also kind of on a different subject, but how do you think th- those RF lenses would have been on the end of a Ronin S at the end of a monopod. Oh, that's a big Because they deal. are front heavy. They're yeah. thick. Like, they are thick. Yeah, you got to rig it up a little more differently. Maybe you need the little, the extended plate with the, the lens support. To like yeah. bring it back, would it forward like that on a gimbal though, would it start clicking the back of the... Um... I've had, I've had, I've had, I've had some pretty uh, large lenses okay. on that Ronin S before. Uh, and it hasn't been too much of an issue. Um, I'm thinking back to using like an 18 to 35 from Sigma. That's pretty comparable which is a pretty, to pretty long lens. So the okay. 15 to 35 um, from Canon. Yeah. 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 It's and about the same size. That wasn't an issue for me. Um, I think, you know, more so it's just like weight distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only thing that, that really would make me question that. I forget what lens we were slinging on the Ronin S for the spot shoot specifically. But I think it was, think it was this 1535. Was it the 1535? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hell no. We were not using the 28. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, Canon's RF lenses are pretty chunky, pretty big lenses, right? So we had we had the A7S3 and we had like a small 1635 and some small lenses on it. Sony makes some small native lenses. And then if you look at Canon's R5 or, or just RF lenses in general, they're like bigger than the actual cameras. Mm-hmm. The 28 to 70 is... I, I think three times the weight of the camera itself. So if you're trying Easily. to fly a lightweight thing on a Ronin like we are, that's actually not ideal. So we we kind of avoided the biggest Canon RF lenses. But you know, this little fifteen thirty five turned out to be okay. But I want to jump back into the verses because there's like maybe two more things. I think autofocus. I'm just gonna say I really think they're both great. Like I've shot like handheld with them both. And I guess right now I'm biased because I'm also doing a lot of stuff with the Red Komodo, which has this super basic, very simple, like contrast-based autofocus. And this blows both of them out of the water. So I'm happy about autofocus for both of them. I don't know if you have any other words about that. I I mean, I, I have I have a little bit of like a, a story about the R5 with autofocus mm-hmm. on the spot shoot. Um, there's There was this one shot that we were doing um, where we, we were sort of, I, I was I was I was tracking backwards through this like um, forest area and uh, spot was coming out from behind a bush mm-hmm. and um, f- like it was it was tracked to spot as as he was going around the bush to, to start 
the actual shot. It tracked on the spot even after the point where I couldn't even see him. Like it was, it was fully tracked on where he was behind that bush to the point where I couldn't see him completely stayed locked throughout the whole entire shot. And honestly, like that's the type of thing that just like blows my mind when it comes to autofocus. It's sentient. It knows. Seriously though. <laughs> it's like better than if you had a, like an, it's like someone pulling focus for you. Exactly. I was going to make a joke about how it had like animal eye detect autofocus turned on, even though it's a robot dog, <laughs> yeah. but I, it's just, it's hey, good. It, it might've worked. It might. It, I mean, it there's some lights legs. on the front. It looks like it looks yeah. like a face. Um, okay, my my sticking point between EOS R5 and Sony A7S III, and it's this has been my Sony versus Canon thing for way too long, is color, color science, dynamic range, overall image quality, and ability to match with other cameras. And for this, I'm just gonna say I prefer the R5. Mm. That's just been my experience. But the A7S III is easily the best version of sony color science i have ever seen does that ring true to what you guys have found so, i'm so excited Vin, Vin is the most the critical chat. color person i've ever met yeah. and well, i can't wait to get there's a little backstory here because i'm a sony boy uh-huh. i've dealt with a lot of sony problems okay so like i feel like different camera brands teach you different things about like filmmaking like mm-hmm. canon since the color is already straight out the box you can just pretty much use it like there's like a different approach where you worry about like your, your camera movement or something and mm-hmm. when you shoot sony because i mean maybe it's because i did all the research and everything i understood that like i was kind of handicapped in these like aspects of the camera so i i had to learn how to color i had to learn how to light a little better to like make up for the still pretty bad color back right. then right and I don't know what happened, but the Canon footage to me looks magenta, and that's been Ooh. a problem for Sony. Mm, interesting. And now it's like it feels like they switched. How the turns have tabled. <laughs> the turns have tabled. <laughs> Wait, so just yeah. just clarifying, you're saying the R5 is magenta? To me, okay. Yeah, and well, at least for the shoots that we were on. Okay. Fascinating. And the one thing we did with these shoots that we don't normally do is we had auto white balance going. Mm-hmm. So it is possible that if we had had manual white balance and we'd gone out and every single shot we'd adjusted it, we could have probably nailed it. But I think when we're just running and gunning and we're just doing loops around a building, we're just gathering shots. I think auto white balance is one of those things where like, yeah, let's trust this. This will this will be all right. And so yeah, it is possible that Sony's auto white balance has caught up and just overall color science to the eye. I mean, it looks good, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a toss up for a lot of people. I, I guess for me, like Canon color science has, has always been a bit, it's always prioritized a, a warmer um, I'd say, type, yeah. of, type of tone, mm-hmm. right. which is really great for, for skin tones and all because like it kind of gives it that, that golden kind of um, finish in a way. Um, I did not see that with R5 footage to, to sort of um, back, back Vin's point. I think uh, there's absolutely something to the fact that it's like, it, it does kind of shift magenta weirdly. A Specifically cool. shadows too. Yeah, I feel like I did see that. So uh, we were messing with the different LUTs that you can use to sort of, we, we shot C-Log, so we're, mm-hmm. we're not just using the raw footage, we're correcting it back to Rec. 709 color space. And 
yeah, I feel like I did notice shadows being cooler generally mm. on R5. I didn't mind it, but I, it's not something I feel like I noticed with previous Canon cameras. So that was interesting. But I mean, in general, if you're looking at R5 versus A7S3, they're similar in price, mm-hmm. they're similar in size, they're similar in functionality. And so the, the main difference you start to get is like, do I really want 8K for some things or not? Do I really care about overall heat? What is my lens collection right now? Am I a Canon shooter mm-hmm. already or do I have Sony lenses already? That's the type of thing that's gonna affect your decision more than the actual quality of the camera. I mean, these are both great cameras. So I've been pretty happy about them. So Chances far. are you don't have RF mounts lenses already though. I know you can get an adapter, mm-hmm. but you can also throw an adapter on a Sony. And there's only a. like seven of them so yeah. far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So lenses, I feel like it kind of is even again, because a lot of people had EF mount right beforehand, but now you're not really benefiting yeah. from it's, that as much. It's as, easy to adapt to EF, but if you want like to go straight native and uh-huh. use autofocus and stuff like that, you probably want to get RF lenses. So yeah, I think that's that's basically how I'm feeling about them. I have another versus, and this has nothing to do with cameras, but I wanted to bring it up because I just did a Twitter poll. Did any of you guys see my Twitter oh, yeah. poll this morning? I've yes, you saw I've it already. Mm-hmm. You all saw it already. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna ask what you thought the results were. We're okay. What they were? were. Did you see Wait, it? Can we all pick a result mm-hmm. first? Okay. The poll was in smartphones. Do you prefer meh battery but really fast charging, or huge battery slow charging? So I'm thinking like. Like OnePlus Nord or ROG Phone 3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was, so far, it's only been like an hour, but it's very close to 50-50. It yeah. It's like 53-47 or something like that uh-huh. with a slight edge going to bigger battery. How do y'all feel about the iPhone having small-ish battery but also slow charging? What should they go for? <laughs> should they go for bigger battery or just faster charging? Because you can't have both. I know a lot of people want both, but it's it's kind of a challenge in a smartphone to, to pick one. What would you pick? Who wants to go first? I like the thought of having a big battery and just letting it, like, I let my phone charge overnight, so that doesn't really matter. Yeah. And I'd rather it last me the whole entire day, if not two days or three days. Give me that. Yeah. And I'll be happy. So that way I charge less. But I don't know. Some people like replugging in. What? Like... To I me, mean, that seems weird. I like the logic that most people charge overnight, right? So the, the smart thing to do for the masses, for most people, is to just make it last all day and assume that they're going to plug it in overnight. In which case, fast charging doesn't matter. Just give them like wireless charging or some, some average charging speed. But I have found, I, I, I like both. Like I like that if I am running low-ish somewhere in the middle of the day, I plug in, the other day I just, I had my, my OnePlus 8 Pro, was that what it's called? Yeah, OnePlus <laughs> 8 Pro. Um, I had down it to like 5% or something like that, and I just had to plug it in for a few minutes while I went and did something and came back, and it was at 73%, and I was like, this is amazing. Why can't every phone have fast charging? But if you had a phone with a bigger battery to begin with, you never would have been in that situation. Right, so I'm just easily impressed then. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like you, you would only actually pick small battery fast charging if you were so irresponsible that you couldn't charge your phone every night. If I have a phone that's guaranteeing me mm. a full day, even if it's a a like busy full day and a lot of usage, yeah. I can plug it in every night. Fair. I I don't consider myself that responsible, but I think that's one thing that I can do every night. 
See, that's the funny thing. So, like, I voted already. <laughs> uh-huh. And I, I, I voted for, for larger battery. Okay. Um, but it's been, like, what, maybe an hour since then? I've changed mm-hmm. my mind. Oh. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum now. Traitor. I think it, it ultimately depends on how fast we're talking in terms right. of, of charging. But um, ultimately, like, if, if I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I'm, I'm running to something, say, like, I'm about to hop on a train and, like, I have five minutes to charge my phone before it's, it yeah. dies and then I don't have access to a charger, I want to be able to get the max out of that. Yeah. Here's the other thing, though, about this trade-off. Both of these trade-offs add thickness to your phone, but the battery size itself is typically a bigger size trade-off. So when you when you talk about having like a 6,000 milliamp hour battery in a phone, mm-hmm. there's no way around it, that's a thick phone. That is a thick <laughs> battery in a phone, right? Yeah, you could feel the heft. It's gonna like be a beefy phone. Yeah. But if you want a Xiaomi phone or whatever we've seen with a 100 watt charging and a 4,000 milliamp hour battery, like that's all right. You might kill it by the end of the day, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a thick phone it can be i'm not i don't hate thick phones or anything but like that doesn't have to be a big heavy phone so that trade-off is something i think i also consider i don't i didn't want the rog phone not because of its thickness but i feel like it's just a gigantic phone and i'm looking at like a a slightly more handleable phone with fast Mm -hmm. charging as like better to me but in terms of thickness in terms of holding it around with you blah 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 if you're expecting to charge more you're now carrying a cable with you everywhere. Uh, but not in your pocket mm-hmm, but that yeah. means you have to have your backpack if you don't have your backpack okay now that fast charging is completely useless and if you had a hmm. thicker phone that's fair yeah. there yeah, needs there's to be more setup, like, like debate mm-hmm. and like fighting here we're way too calm about this <laughs> both, it's really man. making me mad we're just agreeing I'm that there's big battery yeah do we I'm have boxing gloves it. dude it's because <laughs> we're, we're six feet apart you know yeah this is the second time we've podcast boxing in this podcast we already talked about <laughs> tim sweeney and tim cook doing a boxing match usually for Fortnite yeah. versus Apple. usually we're outside at our computers while you guys are doing this so like you know this being the first time i'm in here i'm, I'm really a huge proponent of like well, getting a boxing you know, they're gonna here. start dropping from the ceiling for guests if we have yeah a- as soon as two people disagree boxing gloves come out of the ceiling I'm and we're so like, let's settle this <laughs> Uh, we can no, make that I, happen too, Rocky we, style. We have the budget. We can we can just start <laughs> dropping dropping accessories from the podcast room ceiling. Can that be a segment? <laughs> we, if we come be up a with a weird good enough sound name. segment, <laughs> very weird on audio only, but still definitely fun. Very dumb. Uh, Vin, Brandon, thanks for joining us yeah, for the you. this segment. I feel like we'll have you guys on the podcast more now that we're all back. We just want to mm-hmm. do team stuff, so we'll have you guys on the podcast again. Um, let us know on Twitter what you guys think. If you could only have a big battery and slow charging or a small battery and fast charging, pick a side. Let us know what you yeah, pick. I'll block you if you pick small battery. And he'll block you if you pick small <laughs> battery. There it is. Thanks for listening. Catch you guys in the next episode. Peace. Waveform is brought to you in part with Studio 71, and our intro-outro music was created by Cameron Barlow. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. 
Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.